The following podcast is rated M for mature language, themes, and content. Listener discretion is advised. And it's also rated S for spoilers. Lots and lots of spoilers. In a world of cable cutting and video on demand, one streaming service offers a ray of hope to humankind. From the heights of science fiction, fantasy, and animation, to the depths of reality TV and everything in between. We're looking at you, rom-coms. Netflix originals deliver the content you crave, but are they good? We're about to find out. This is Netflix and Podcast. True crime obsessed over here. Too much stuff going on in my brain. (laughs) Anyways, let's let's, let's talk about Tiger King. Yeah, let's get into it. Hey everybody, I'm Dr. T and I'm here with my co-hosts Joy and Seamus. Thank you as always for joining us here at Netflix and Podcast, the show where we talk about Netflix originals and only Netflix originals, examining them through the lens of storytelling, psychology, sociology, and visual effects. And when it's all said and done, give them a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So today's episode is covering Tiger King, episode five, Make America Exotic Again. And the description is, as Joe dives into politics, he deals with turmoil and tragedy in his personal life. Meanwhile, the dynamics at the park change with the new owners. So we're past the halfway mark. This is episode five. We're starting to kind of close in towards the grand finale. Yeah, thoughts and feelings. Episode five, make America exotic again. How'd this one hit you? So I remember the first time I watched this episode, um, it kind of tied everything in together because they show a clip of, I think it was John on John Oliver's show of his like, you know, announcing to run. And I remember that back in 2016, I was like, this election just can't get any more ridiculous. Look at this guy kind of thing. So drew me in right away. Cause I remembered that little, you know, tiny clip that was, you know, being shared around social media and stuff like that. So it just, it grabbed my attention all the more. And I, I kind of got more excited because of all this new backstory that I had heard leading up to this thing. Now, had you remembered seeing the John Oliver skit? Because I yeah. definitely watched the John Oliver skit. Remember seeing this guy, Joe Exotic, and I'm like, this is wild. This is nuts. But I completely forgot about it. And it wasn't until when I first watched this episode that I'm like, oh, this is the guy. Like, this is Joe Exotic. Yeah. Like, So you remembered it, though. No, no, no. That that's what I didn't remember. It was like the same guy. Okay. I didn't remember that was his name. But then right, when they right. started talking about him running for president, I was like, that I've made the same connection that you. Okay, got gotcha, you, got gotcha. you. Right? Yeah, because so we had the same experience of yeah. having seen the John Oliver thing, forgetting about it, and then being like, well, this is that Joe Exotic. Of course, right. like there's only one Joe Exotic, but <laughs> I don't know how we forgot about it. But there's a lot going on in the world these days. That, yeah, there was a lot more to you know put in front of you in terms of politics you know that was just a short brief you know literally 15 minutes of fame right yeah on that you know area anyway and uh yeah so forgot about it because so much other stuff was at the forefront all came back <laughs> which so i think I- you know for me it like it's what kind of got me all the more like hooked into this series so mm-hmm. i wonder if this episode was sort of the catalyst to make this series as popular as it was you know where people are like look at you know initially they're just watching it for the dumpster fire plane crash train off the off the cliff that i you know alluded to last time but this might have tied it all in together of something that they remember from four years ago it's like um almost like an artificial nostalgia in a way we're like yeah oh, yeah i remember that it's member yeah. berries from south park right and it's just like yeah oddly that was simpler times you know <laughs> yes, exactly. it was exactly we thought we were about to get our first female president, you know, <laughs> not going to happen. We didn't get Joe Exotic either though. Yeah. Wait until it does. <clears throat> I don't know if Pray. I, I think I mentioned Pray. I've got a, there's somebody in my neighborhood with the Joe Exotic 2020 campaign flag out in their yard. So there's still people gunning for it. Amazing. So yeah, Joy, what was your experience? Like, did, did you see that John Oliver skit? Did you remember any of this stuff going into watching the Tiger King? Or was it kind of like me and Seamus where, you know, you saw it, forgot it, and then it came back? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, exactly for me. Same mm. for me. That didn't change anything. This episode, like there's just, and we'll talk about, but there's just a moment in this episode that like, 
just like, I don't know, just sticks to you in a really uncomfortable way. And I just wish that there yeah. had been some sort of warning or right because like to like, I don't know. And like this time I knew it was coming. So I like walked out of the room. So I didn't mm. have to see the facial expression again, because I remember last time it just like, st like I just affected me so much. And so like, there's a lot of stuff going on this episode, but for me, like that's, I knew that. And like, I just didn't, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sort of surprised they put it in. They didn't have to, um, no. you know, it I certainly wasn't needed for disturbing. shock value. Yeah. This, this <laughs> this whole series is shocking enough and it's, you know, it's hard to keep up mentally and emotionally as it is. So, um, like I knew it was coming up this time and I stuck around for it and it, yeah, it's just the length of time that they held that shot in the final, you know, episode of just his face was too much in my opinion, you know, because they just yeah. they they held on um it's joe's campaign manager that like witnessed it you know um and i don't know it he might have held that facial expression for 10 15 20 seconds it's an uncomfortably long time it's like a pt anderson shot almost where it's just like you know someone sitting on the couch and the camera just doesn't move and it makes the audience uncomfortable I retract my statement from last episode where I said that the most shocking scenes in this series was um, the tiger babies being taken away from their mom right after being born and Joe's mom giving her a GoFundMe plea. Um, yeah, that that now feels like tame compared to what they hit us with on this episode. Yeah. 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 So retracting so my prior statement, this is actually the episode <laughs> with the most shocking scene of the series by far. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I will agree with you, Seamus. This episode was good because it tied a lot of things together. But yeah, I, it's just a tough episode. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was a tough one for sure. So yeah, just kind of breaking breaking it down, we get an opening shot of Doc Antle's monkey party. He's like, you don't know what a chimpanzee party is? Well, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a party with chimpanzees. You're like, well, thanks, Doc. Yeah, uh, yeah you idiot. <laughs> nailed it. I do think it's interesting. It kind of gives you a little insight into Doc's duplicitous nature where he's kind of like talking crap about the party. And then he's like, oh, hey, we're at the party, you know? So he's he just turns it on and turns it off depending on who the audience is. And when I first saw that, I was like, oh, we're going to get another like Doc Antle segment. Like I thought we were going to dive back into his whole weird world. And it kind of quickly, because, you know, they have the monkey party and like some shots of that. And then it's like Doc talking about his social media and how they're crushing it with, all the sexy tiger shots and like his wives slash girlfriends slash employees like in their bikinis and everything and i was like oh sweet we're gonna get back into this whole bizarro you know sex cult tiger world but no we kind of come back to joe exotic and you know i was a little bit disappointed there but it definitely is continuing the overall thread here of joe's continued unraveling him going further and further down into this uh pit of despair and kind of the people who are orbiting him at this point, who are, you know, in some cases, potentially enabling him, in some cases, being victimized by him. And then in other cases, it's it's people like Jeff Lowe, for example, who see uh, some easy pickings, and some of the people that Jeff kind of enlists to help him, some of his, uh, his cadre, if you will, of unsavory characters, uh, to say the least. The first of which is Alan Glover. What did you uh, think of this guy? Uh, a little teardrop tattoo, uh, transient ex-con? Yeah, well, he talks about himself. He's like, yeah, I was in prison like right when I was 18, did my time for it. They didn't really say what he was in prison for, but yeah, I mean, the teardrop tattoo, that's always, you know, an excellent touch. Um, but- Ties the whole like look together. Yeah, pretty much. But like without that tattoo, he he looks like any other like handyman construction guy, you know, just like yeah, well, works. Yeah, weathered has lived a tough life, you know, physical kind of thing. I just thought it was interesting that there was like immediate animosity between Alan and Joe kind of thing mm -hmm. where like Joe has been running this zoo forever. And Joe's staff talks about how Jeff like really didn't do any of the maintenance stuff. He just went and played with the tigers and, you know, did it for the glitz and glam and um you know joe would ask alan to do something and alan would say fuck you i don't work for you kind of thing yeah so it was there was definitely like a a rift almost immediately kind of deal they do show some of joe's toxicity in this show as well or in this mm -hmm. episode how he 
was yelling at people, literally shooting guns at employees. That is something that like, that disturbed the hell out of me. Yeah. You know, just because I'm a hunter and gun advocate, you know, and, but safety is like the number one thing that is drilled into your head before you even pick one up. So you don't um, shoot at people, right? That's uh, is that a rule? Yeah. I mean, it's like rule number two, yeah. you know, never point the gun at anything you don't want destroyed. Right. So when he's like doing the, you know, shooting over people's heads and like tree branches are falling down or like shooting towards the area of Travis's mom's feet. It was just, yeah. That's insane. Yeah. So then that leads us to Jeff Lowe's other friend, uh, which Joy, I'm, I'm curious to see what your take was on this guy, James Gerritsen, the <laughs> esteemed bar and strip club owner slash big cat enthusiast. With the Prince Valiant haircut. That's what that haircut is. I was trying to put a finger on what that's called. <laughs> He's a little roly-poly, and he's yeah. got this medieval Prince Valiant haircut. That's yeah, it's funny. like Prince Valiant from Spaceballs kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Oh, my gosh. That's too funny. Yeah, um, yeah, interesting. The only thing, now whenever I see that guy, I just see him, and I know this isn't, we're not there yet, but all I can picture him is on the water ski. That's all I can see now every time I see his face. Riding off into the on sunset. On the jet ski, right? <laughs> yeah, that's all I can see. Yeah, I forgot about the jet ski thing. I guess that comes up in a, in a, um, I think it's one of the final shots of the entire series, actually. Like it's them wrapping everything up and like it's the final. It's almost literally like him, you know, jet skiing off into the sunset (laughs) kind of thing. It's, yeah, it's With the shades. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. (laughs) So apparently he was brought in to open up the GW Zoo pizza place um, by Jeff, where I... Which as a strip club owner, you know, lots of experience in pizza places. Well, (laughs) I guess pizza that uses... The Walmart truck meat. Rehabilitated Walmart truck meat, yeah. I feel so bad for anyone who ate that pizza and then watch this documentary. I know it's, you know, Gordon Ramsay is like the king of like bringing that up. And it would have been funny to watch his reaction if he even watched this at all of them, like going through the expired meat and then serving it to people. I feel like there's been episodes of Kitchen Nightmares that have been pretty close to that though. So I'm sure he would have a pretty good uh, hot take on the whole situation. Yeah, I mean, he always says something like, you can't serve, you'll kill someone, you fucking donut, something like that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it just would have been a funny like reaction, like a short reaction YouTube video almost to, to have him do that, watch that like one scene. That'd be great. Like they need yeah. to do a college humor, like funny or die, Gordon yeah. Ramsay's like kitchen, like nightmare of the Joe Exotic pizza <laughs> place. Pizza place, yeah. yeah. Strip clubs and um, buffets have been uh, partnered for a long time. See, so, there you go. You know, there, is a, there is a connection. Yep. It's pretty pretty commonplace in Vegas, I think. Right. You, you, you come for the wings and you stay for, I don't know, uh, the rest. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> like uh, there's a Parks and Rec episode where Ron Swanson, he's like, I hate places like this, but there's a breakfast buffet over there. And he's like, you know, doing all kinds of pancake flips and stuff like that, serving himself up. So, yeah. Yeah. I know. It, I was, I, if I've had multiple people who are like, yeah, I really like Hooters, like wings. I'm like, really? Okay. Not the same, but, you know, similarly, it's like, really? You're, you're, it's like reading Playboy for the articles. Oh, are you really? Uh, right. So that's kind of the introduction to Jeff's crew. You know, you've got Alan Glover, the ex-con, who at least seems to be, you know, a straight shooter, although he's got certainly plenty of baggage and is getting into it with Joe right out of the gates. And then you've got this James Gerritsen guy with his uh, somewhat unsavory past coming on board and participating uh, to some extent with the zoo operations and the pizza place. And that's just kind of setting up like, you know, it's like the table setting for, okay, this is where the zoo's at at this moment in time. Joe's maybe stepping a little bit away from the day to day. Jeff's coming in. And well, what is Joe doing? Well, Joe's running for president. Like we said, we were all first exposed to this with that John Oliver segment. And this is the, this is the line that really stuck with me. And the one that when I resaw it on the Tiger King, I was like, yes, that's what burned itself into my brain. And it was when he goes, I'm gay. I'm broke as shit. I have a judgment against me from some bitch down there in Florida. And all this is paid for by Joe Exotic for America. And it's like, yeah. that was the line. And I remember in that John <laughs> Oliver segment, like after you said broke as shit, like the audience just like starts cracking up and laughing. And I think because of that, like they didn't really pick up on the, I have a judgment against me from some bitch down there in Florida. And what's so funny is 
I now know exactly what he's talking about. It's like, oh, he's talking about mm. the million dollar uh, copyright uh, lawsuit that came from Carol Baskin. So it's just really funny to rewatch it and be like, yep, totally get what you're talking about there, Joe. That's what yeah. that bitch down there in Florida, like, you know, <laughs> has on you. But yeah, and he's so. not changing the way he dresses or cutting his hair. No. <laughs> he's not. If anything, he's just going uh, going bigger. <laughs> Putting his face on condoms, handing them out to uh, babies. That was for his uh, governorship, though, I think. Oh, right? God. Well, yeah, run. so that yeah. was the thing that it wasn't, like, super clear for me, where it started off as a presidential run. Obviously, he got the John Oliver um skit and that was kind of his 15 minutes of fame there and then at some point he just kind of switched it to a governor's race but i don't know exactly when that happened yeah um, they mentioned something yeah. about it where he said he doesn't want to wait another four years to run for office so he's like governor's the next best thing just gonna do mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you know? it's called a pivot yeah yeah <laughs> exactly yeah. all successful but, people do it you know you just got to adapt mm -hmm. yeah Man, the introduction of the campaign manager where he was like, basically like that was the worst experience of my life, you know, like you could just see on his face that like he, I mean, clearly he saw some stuff that was really disturbing, but that aside, like just working for Joe and being involved with all that, just, you just, you feel for that guy. You know, to go from uh, working at a Walmart uh, to being someone's campaign manager is a pretty big jump, but he paid a high price for that. I think his name was Joshua. Yeah. Josh. It's such a tragic story for him because, like, he seemed legitimately interested in politics and was like, this is my chance to run a campaign. Like, this is my chance to break into politics, like, legitimate yeah. politics. Now, granted, uh, if you mm -hmm. meet your candidate at Walmart, because they're a daily buyer of bullets and tannerite, which is like a over-the-counter explosive, maybe that's not the right candidate to start your career with, but it seemed like he definitely was enthusiastic, optimistic. You know, he put together a platform for Joe. Uh, they're running as a, as a libertarian, even though he said that Joe didn't even know what it was. And obviously a lot of Joe's, you know, campaign pitches were railing against the Big Cat Safety Act and saying things like, this is my way of living and nobody's gonna tell me any other way. But yeah, I mean, I think with a with Josh's situation, like he really was kind of starry-eyed and enthusiastic and like genuine in his interest to kind of help this campaign be a legitimate thing, and kind of as a result got roped into this this world of Joe Exotic. And you know, frankly, I feel like he was as the series progresses and, and starting with this episode, the closest thing to like an audience avatar in the series, where it's like he is all of us basically, like the one who really does recognize how ridiculous and absurd and inappropriate all of this stuff is but at the same time in too deep to really be able to pull himself out like i just felt like he was a character that i could really not a character but a person that i could empathize with and sympathize with i guess like there like he didn't seem like somebody who was actually doing anything wrong i guess is what i'm saying i'm like literally yeah. just about everybody else in this show it did seem though that he has a that he likes pot, you know, clearly. And we know that Joe has used drugs in other ways to keep other people close to him. So True. you wonder how much that was happening with that relationship as well, you know? But that's I mean, I'm just sure to a... some extent. I mean, that was Joe's game. You know, he, he would bring people in and create dependencies. And like we were talking about off mic, it's this whole idea of course of control where you create these invisible chains of dependency and it can kind of take away somebody's ability to be an independent person without them maybe even realizing it initially. So he got he got sucked in and it just gets really worse and worse and worse and worse. What's kind of funny is I heard Joe's actual platform for his presidential campaign, and I'm sure he just translated this into his governor's campaign, it was actually kind of good. Like he was like, <laughs> one of the things he actually was promoting was keeping felons and people with mental health issues from owning guns, which I found to be ironic. Yeah. Well, he, I'm sure he didn't believe that he has mental health issue. Oh no, not at all. <laughs> um, and then I think there was uh, universal healthcare was part of his platform. So that was uh, interesting. Uh, reproductive rights for women. So, you know, even though it was kind of a libertarian sort of, you know, smaller government kind of platform I was like it actually wasn't so basically what Josh put together wasn't that bad like I kind of felt like I was like that's actually a pretty solid uh solid uh platform to be running on but again I don't think Joe was really 
taking it very seriously. You know, it was just he, like he, he got fame. to be the star of the show, right? Yeah. The attention and look at yeah. me, look at me. In previous episodes, they said that about Joe, like he just wanted to be famous, you yeah. know, and politics today is, you know, it's another form of celebrity. So that's my guess is, yeah, he wasn't going to take it seriously. Didn't know what libertarian, libertarianism is, found, you know, a Walmart gun clerk to run his campaign, who that was his dream job, which is great. But like, you got to start from where you are, not from where you want to be as like, the, I'm talking about the campaign manager in particular here. And it's a small, you know, outside chance candidate. So that's small, but it's for like the highest office in the state. Maybe start running like a city council campaign or, you <laughs> yeah, know, that's true. Walk something you like, run. yeah, exactly. And uh, I just, when you said, you know, he's, he got a little bit starry eyed. I think that might've been part of it. He's like, oh, I get a chance to run a governorship campaign. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. that's sort of my thought on that. Well, and one of the things I don't think that they talked about in the show really at any point, but i heard through other sources is that Josh is also gay and I think that that was was part of it was you know Joe was an out and proud gay man in Oklahoma which was rare so I feel like that was another piece of of what kind of interested him uh interested Josh in helping Joe because it was like also a you know very personal uh issue yeah you know having between right exactly exactly and Obviously, we can see as as this show progresses, there is that bond between Joe and Josh that's not like really anybody else. It doesn't seem like they had any sort of sexual relationship or anything like that. But um, I think that that was part of what drew Josh to Joe is just this this aspect of, you know, he's he's living at least that part of his life openly and honestly and unapologetically, which, you know, certainly hard if you're, you know, if you're gay and you're in a, in a relatively not gay friendly area of the country i guess you could say um, yeah not to paint broad strokes i'm sure you know every you know community is different but um, yeah well joe does say overall. at one point that there's not a whole lot of gay people in winnowood right which is the right, town area. right so yeah right. yeah and then the thing that was interesting to me that i kind of wish they would have but i understand it doesn't really it didn't, they didn't need to stay a lot on it, but I was interested about the whole, the whole thing about um, Doc Antle, like taking cats to Congress or something yep. like that. And they just lightly touched on that. And, and then Carol talking about how that like made things really hard to get that law on the docket, um, which I can totally see. So that was interesting. And I realized they didn't need to dive more into it. They just needed to have it in there, but I, you know, I found that part fascinating. Yeah, Doc is definitely yep. more of a chess player when it comes to that sort of stuff where I don't even think Joe's playing checkers, you know. <laughs> he's he's playing, you know, horseshoes and hand grenades or something compared to just trying to brute force his way through things. Yep, totally. Beer so, pong probably would yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah, he's playing meth, beer pong. Meth pong. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and that's, I think that's what it shows in that segment is, you know, Doc has a purpose behind everything he does, and he seems to be the one that's more equipped to tackle Carol head on in terms of just the way they go about stuff. And it's because he's more polished. Yo has this like rednecky, um, down and out type of atmosphere at his zoo because he hires people who are down on their luck you know he'll go pick them up at the bus station they talked about in earlier episodes so and doc decides to hire a harem of women and he also has worked with hollywood and so he's already more respected i guess within he understands the the power of optics you know he understands and that was like even in terms of um how doc cultivated his or i guess you could say groomed his interns and really like actually physically dressing them, pushing them, or in some cases, forcing them to get breast implants. And they had to wear makeup whenever they were doing their shows. Like he really understood that that polish and that shine can blind people to the reality of what he's really doing. And he wields that uh, skill uh, savvily. He, he understands what he's doing. He's very calculating. Like you said, he's playing chess where, you know, Joe's lucky if he's, uh, he's playing checkers. And I mean, if you think about it, like psychologically, it's a pretty powerful tactic to bring those cats, uh, those kittens to lawmakers, let them play with them, give them that good experience, because then it's going to create cognitive dissonance when Carol comes along and says, well, I want you to ban that. And so they then have to, as a lawmaker, 
reframe their initial experience. And we know that people have belief persistence and confirmation bias in our thinking, where once you make a belief, you kind of want to reinforce it because we identify it, we identify with it and start looking for evidence in our world and in our life to kind of build it up rather than break it down. So if somebody already had that good positive initial experience, and That's, pictures of them doing it. Too. Exactly, exactly. So then what are they going to do? Reverse course and then have that come up and then they look like a hypocrite and they look like, you know, flip flopper or whatever the case may be. I was watching a TV show on a network that shall not be named or a streaming site that shall not be named uh, last night. And one of the lines that one of the characters delivered was the first lie wins. And that's kind of like what I think about with some of these things, you know, especially in like the political arena where because we also know that a lie oft repeated becomes the truth. And so I think that there is a lot of power to being the first mover. And that's what I saw Doc doing here before Carol even had a chance to make her case, you know, regarding the big cat act docs in there with the kittens, you know, spoiling these lawmakers, basically, you know, ruining their um, psyche so that they're not going to be really receptive to her message. And, you know, obviously the big cat act has not yet passed could change in the future, but it hasn't. And so I think Doc's actually uh, been pretty pretty effective if that was uh, you know one of the t- determining things. And certainly, I don't think Joe's antics were persuading anybody. Um, well, Doc, Joe on the is other hand, was pretty yeah. savvy. Joe, it seems like he's of the the mentality, whether he realizes it or not, is there's no such thing as bad press, as long right. as like he's getting attention. That's kind of all he cares about. Mm-hmm. So there's no strategy involved whatsoever. Right. He shoots from the hip. Where his gun is, literally. That, like, that's where his gun is. Yeah, it's a it's a chrome revolver, and oh, he's shooting it at gosh. people. So you know the other thing in this episode that was really like had me like going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, was when Joe like almost got attacked by that tiger, oh like his gosh. own tiger. Yes. He's being dragged and that other tiger's right there, and you're just holy fuck. Like it's real scary. And and yeah. I don't see anybody else around, which was kind of mind-blowing, too. And they talk about that on well, the they episode. Were. they were just filming but, it. Oh, right. man. But then to see, you know, the way that he pulled his gun and talked to those tigers, hesitates, you can tell he doesn't want to shoot the gun, but then he does. And then just the way that he's talking to them is just so harsh. And just for someone who really cares about animals, I don't know. Like, that... So there was a big difference in the way that, remember, I think it was in the beginning of this episode, wasn't it? Or it was last episode where, oh, I can't think of his name now. The guy who just bought the- Jeff Mm Lowe. Jeff Yeah, when Jeff was in the cage with his girlfriend and that one lion was getting out of hand. Remember, he was calm, cool, and collected. He protected his woman, said, get out, get out. And then he didn't say anything. Like he didn't, it was just a different reaction. And so I don't know. I just found that fascinating too. Not that either of them are that was this, by any That means, was this but... episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I think it was at the beginning. Yeah, it was when they were talking about how Jeff didn't do a squat at the park. Um, um, it was just okay. kind of showing him hanging out. And that's when there's that scene with him and Lauren in the cage and the cat or the, the lion. I think it started maybe it, mouthing it, it on her. It was a lion, first. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it kind of started mouthing on her. Uh, and then he, you know, was like, get out of the cage like you said joy you know it's funny i didn't make that connection i wonder if they included both of those segments intentionally to show that that difference but i mean i think what we're seeing here is i mean like it or not jeff Lowe's kind of the alpha male like like he is the smooth operator in some ways like he is somebody who's got just like a higher skill level in some you know in, in some capacity than joe who's this just blunt force instrument and similarly with how they handled these uh potential maulings jeff Exactly what you said, Joy. Calm, cool, collected. Joe, very, very uh, much the opposite. Just to kind of wrap up some of the campaign stuff, because we were talking about that, you know, Joe got into all that because he thought it was going to help business at the park. Certainly was not the case. And so it really was kind of just all a bust. And that's when they transitioned into some of this, uh, these other segments showing Joe back at the park now. And I don't know if it was a campaign video that he was shooting in that cage or if it was a Joe Exotic TV uh, section. I think it was actually a lager that started kind of chewing on his shoe. And Joe was saying that somebody put like cologne or something on it. Like he felt like it was 
some sort of intentional act. Yeah, he was sabotaged kind of thing. Right, and there's like some audio where he's like, they try to get me killed in that Liger cage or something along those lines. But yeah, I mean, him shooting at the ground, he's getting dragged around. There's other Tigers or Ligers in there. I thought we were about to see him get chewed up, you know, frankly. But I guess shooting a gun enough times scared him off. And what we get after that is what has become a famous line delivered mm-hmm. by Carol, which got so much traction all over the interwebs. Is She's like, well, if you really wanted a tiger to attack somebody, you put sardine oil on them. And it's like, everyone's like, oh, really, Carol? You want to tell us more about how to get a tiger to eat somebody? Obviously playing back into the narrative that she fed her husband um, to the tigers. But uh, anyway, yeah, that was a shocking, that was a shocking sequence uh, for sure. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I don't know what the proper protocol is to deal with uh, being mauled by a tiger or about to be mauled by a tiger. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know for disabled, right? For a mountain lion, like if you're out in the wilderness, it's um, you know this is just going to be my hunting wisdom coming through. Uh, If you're attacked by a mountain lion, you need to fight to the death, kind of thing. And there was actually like a runner last year in Fort Collins that like put a mountain lion in a chokehold kind of thing just running out near town and it was a juvenile so usually like when a mountain lion attacks a human is like they're really old and you know can't take down a deer anymore or they're a juvenile and they're just trying to figure stuff out but yeah i mean animal rights were all over that fact like you know he unnecessarily killed this lion it's like no he you know he had to like it was either him or the animal that can kill you with its face right yeah so but i don't know about like actual lions because they're four times the size and and all that you know there's different tactics you would do with bears depending on what kind of bear it is too like grizzly bear you actually play dead because they're attacking you out of like fear and then black bears you need to fight because they're attacking you out of predation so mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i mean it sounded like it, well it didn't sound like it looked like this tiger liger correction one it one it you know, it looked oh, like yeah, it was, it was definitely like dragging him away. Yeah. Kind of thing. And uh, might have gotten uh, some assistance from the other ones that were on mm. standby. <laughs> you know what the best way to avoid a tiger attack? Don't get in a cage with a tiger. Boom. Yeah. So that's actually funny. I had a, the other day, I had like a, a joke. You know, that's like something like my wife would say where she's very much in, uh, in the camp of taking responsibility for your actions in your life. And like we were joking about doing a like a TikTok series where you know, basically it's like a news headline, like somebody, you know, died during a, a bungee jumping accident. And it would be like, what's your take on that? Uh, yeah, don't go bungee jumping. You know, so it's just kind of like, really just don't be stupid. You know, that's mm-hmm. the answer. Don't be stupid. Don't put yourself in that situation is, is how you don't get in that situation. Yeah, just like what's going on right now. Uh, wear a mask, stay six feet apart, wash your hands, you know, common sense. Abstinence is the best uh <laughs> listen let, we don't need to go there that's too far oh, oh sorry so oh, yeah then, yeah where's the line <laughs> just put sardine oil on it that's uh, yeah. that's how you... um so we get that oh, scene gosh. joe almost gets mauled by a tiger he's shooting at it i mean i actually was uh listening to some uh some stories about Joe Exotic today. There actually was another incident at the park where a tiger got loose and there's an event at the park with just people, just, uh, you know, park attendees. And the tiger was slinking around like 20 feet away from the people. And it was uh, Rick Kirkman uh, or Rick Kirkham that saw it and got one of the trainers over to, you know, bring it back into a cage. And so none of the people at the park realized that the tiger was loose and was potentially stalking him and the employee was able to lure it back into a cage with some meat. However, when it was all said and done, Joe gets Rick and is like, come with me, grab the camera, and basically walks over to the tiger and is like, I'll teach him to you know, mess with me, shoots the tiger in the head. So that kind of goes back to what you were saying, Joy, where he supposedly loves these animals, supposedly cares for them, and he's shooting at them. Well, he actually was shooting them, and oftentimes it was to just make space for more animals and obviously had older animals that were less um, able to generate revenue, but it was also for kind of whatever his whim was in that moment. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the liger that bit him in this scene could have ended up in the back of the GW zoo property somewhere in a, in a hole in the ground. Uh, Cause he certainly had no qualms against shooting animals, even though it's illegal, again, going back to some of the, the legal, uh, some of the laws that actually govern these animals, 
they are endangered. You can't just shoot them for whatever reason. But Joe would say that it was sick. Joe would say that it was old. Joe would have some sort of falsified excuse for why he had to quote unquote kill it. But yeah, so he's certainly- And also like gone are the days, at least in my book, are you take it out back and shoot it. You know, you go to the veterinary office and if your animal's sick and has to be put down, it's done a certain way. And like, I don't know, maybe people still do do that with their animals. I, that would really bother me and I don't want to know the truth. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a way things are done humanely with love and care and proper consideration. But clearly, yeah, Joe does not have any of that. He's uh, from the old yeller school of pet ownership where, uh, sorry, Timmy, old yeller's not uh, doing so good. Better avert your gaze. And I mean, I guess like that's a good segue into the next part of the show or the next part of this episode. I mean, we just saw kind of Joe's attitude towards the animals and kind of his disdain for them and in his, uh, you know, putting himself in danger, but then blaming other people or blaming the animals for uh, some of the repercussions of those actions. It starts getting into Joe and his husbands. First, John Finley, who he showered with gifts of guns, like a pink camo uh, gun and four wheelers. And then also Travis Maldonado, both John and Travis were only 19 when they met Joe. And he basically loaded them up with, you know, weed and meth and gave them guns and four wheelers and really kind of exercised this, this course of control that we were talking about before, making them dependent on Joe and ultimately kind of roping them into a sexual relationship, even though they weren't gay and isolating them and really kind of just putting them into this kind of drawing him into his his web drawing him into his world yeah it was interesting to see them finally dive into that and just to see that you know what we had thought you know remember we had talked about the episode where they had got married and it was just very clear that it was just such an uncomfortable scene it wasn't like oh we're so happy we're all getting married together you know it was very much it felt very forced and awkward and so you know, all that was just confirmed in this episode. And then the other thing they talked about in this episode is the fact that neither of these young men ever admitted to being gay and more in fact, having relations with women in the park. It just like confirmed all that stuff that anyone watching the episode could see clearly that these two gentlemen weren't, you know, really in love with Joe in that way. They liked the lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, they were pumped full of weed and meth and guns and trucks and forward like you know toys that any i think saf even talks about it mentions is like you know this is any 19 year old boy's dream is like hanging out with big big animals and partying and shooting guns and taking drugs and and this and that so it definitely i mean we find out later that travis wasn't in particular wasn't allowed to leave the grounds like john did john was because he talks about you know i've been to every single state selling animals he says that earlier in the in the series so yeah i didn't know i don't think i paid attention to it the first time but they said that travis was addicted to meth before he got to the park in in this episode at least that's the way i interpreted it i could be wrong and he obviously wasn't taking it as long as john was because they do start talking about meth mouth and then you know john gives his big toothless smile kind of thing mm-hmm but yeah, it, that's not like an uncommon tactic to that pimps use for their prostitutes. Yeah. And I mean, they were obviously also sleeping with girls. Uh, John yeah. Finley ended up getting one of the office uh, girls pregnant and ended up leaving Joe to marry her. I think Travis, that's, how, that's what saved him, like got him out of that, like, right. you know, coercive controlling situation, as you say, because he had something really good to look forward to kind of thing and to help pull him out. And he was a little bit older, I think, uh, mm-hmm. at that point, even though he had met Joe when he was 19, by the time he was kind of separating away, he was he was older. Travis was still young. Like you said, Travis had a troubled background. His Travis's mom had been involved in drugs. And, you know, so he was coming from a broken home and a bad place to begin with. And then Joe just sort of picked up from there and, and, and exacerbated everything. I just thought it was really sad seeing some of those scenes of Travis, like saying how he wanted to tell Joe about his problems, but he'd only listened for five seconds before kind of tuning out. And he's like punching the side of that, um, that semi truck. Like you could just see he was really frustrated, clearly seemed depressed, 
he's living this just like sad, isolated life where his entire world was this park. And at a certain point, the guns and the weed and the four wheelers and, you know, the girls on the side and things like that just weren't distracting enough from the reality of what was actually going on. And it just seemed like it was, his mental state was just degrading, you know, more and more. Uh, Josh, the campaign manager was talking about how he would regularly point guns at people and uh, might as well get into it. This is, this is, this is the scene that we were talking about. So, you know, one day Travis is pointing a gun at Josh in the office, which was not an unusual occurrence. Josh says, don't point that gun at me. And Travis goes, don't worry. It's a Ruger. It won't go off without a clip, puts the gun against his temple, pulls the trigger. And we see a, maybe a, a closed circuit TV capture of Josh's, uh, response to this entire thing. Uh, you hear the gun go off, you see him with his hands against his face, his mouth open, clearly in shock for, I don't know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, it feels like forever. He is contending with, is this a hoax? Is this a joke? Is this a prank? You know, trying to make sense of what his eyes and his senses were telling him versus what his, his mind was obviously reeling, eventually, you know, getting up and calling out and I mean it was, it was man it was rough like I was obviously taking notes during this episode just a as part of the normal process of watching these shows and writing stuff down and I just like stopped taking notes and just watching because it's like somebody died I mean and no matter what was going on in that person's life and no matter what they may or may have not done to get to that point I mean somebody's life ended and and we basically see it through someone else's eyes and it's a really difficult thing to watch yeah i mean i don't really have any comments about it because it just was so i don't know it's just hard it's just hard that that was like is i feel again and i said this at the beginning i feel like this episode should have come with some sort of little bit of warning about a that possibly or a disclaimer yeah. right. because it just came and you had no idea it was coming and right something like that like I can't even imagine what it's like to be Josh and to have that in your head. I mean, uh, now a lot of people who sign up for certain jobs see stuff like this all the time, but they're signing up for that. They, they know, like if you're a first responder, you know, you're going to be seeing some stuff that's going to like stick with you for a long time. You know, Josh, you know, he was a, a nerd behind a desk, a campaign manager, you know, um, you know, you just, you, like I, like I'm feeling the way I'm feeling from just watching Josh's expression. I can't even imagine what Josh is feeling. It's like, it's too much, you know? Yep. Yeah. It's definitely something that you're never going to forget if you witness something like that, especially up close. I mean, it, um, it's life changing enough to witness someone having a seizure in front of you, right? It's something like the first time you're never going to really forget that, let alone, you know, pistol to the temple kind of thing so yeah i mean i really feel for josh in this just because yeah it's not campaign managers aren't supposed to see stuff like this you know it's not like a first responder or military or anything like that you know and then to just go back to work in that same office where it all went down like yeah right away and to watch joe putting on a show at the funeral uh which was disgusting frankly, singing his fake songs, crying his, I mean, I don't know, to the extent that Joe felt real emotions. Like I think that he, I think Joe feels sorry for himself and that's when Joe cries. I don't think he actually is connected to the people around him in a authentic way because obviously he was disconnected from the pain he was inflicting on Travis's mom. And that was devastating hearing her take and just saying like the worst day of my life just happened my son died and then i'm subjected to this which is even worse you know even worse than the worst day is seeing joe putting himself on display and making it about him really gross really disgusting uh, so gross and like what was with the like priest uniform shit like it's just all like right. if, what are we is this um it's performative. It just, uh, it's performative. It's, all it's like all a play. It's all a fanfare. You know, he had the like the EMT jacket on when the 
person like how do you have time to put that on yep like it's just so oh my god it's uh, joe exotic it's not joe schreibogel it's not the real person no no exactly so that this whole this whole sequence you know from the very beginning it's like you said Troy I think that there really probably should have been a disclaimer just so that people had a heads up I mean I remember the first time watching this I'm like what like what did what just happened like what like you do like as an audience member you don't have any you can't you're not you're not even processing it and you're thinking is this a joke you know what I mean like you're you're kind of there with Josh in in a way where you're like no that's not we wait what like it's just too much it's too much uh, too much reality. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that there is, you know, obviously, as we've talked about before, the Tiger King, it's a piece of entertainment in the way that it was edited and, and put together. But as we've also talked about before, these are not characters in a play. They're real people with real lives. And I think this section of the show, while it was outrageous and certainly memorable, it's memorable for all the wrong reasons. And I think that it is also... Um, in poor taste and uh, kind of reprehensible that the documentarians um, exploited it themselves. They kind of did essentially what Joe did. So I think they bear responsibility for this. And I don't know if, I mean, I don't really see, I don't remember really, really hearing a lot of backlash directed towards them for this particular episode, but uh, to the extent that we're creating some backlash right here, shame on you uh, documentarians. I think that um, you, this is a, this is a distasteful, uh, disrespectful thing to do. You know, Travis was a person. He was a real person. And he deserved better uh, by Joe, and he deserved better by the people that were supposedly telling his story. Yeah, agreed. I forgot what I was going to say about that because that was what you were just talking about, Dr. T. was so compelling and made me completely forget <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what I had on the back burner in my mind. So, yeah, never mind. I mean, oh, here it is. Getting closer to this moment, you know, before we're shown what happens, I was wondering to myself why Travis was not, didn't have any interview segments, Mm. right? And before they kind of showed his descent into deeper depression and frustration and cabin fever, as it were, I just figured that he might have left the zoo because they were always talking about him in past tense. Travis was this, you know, tall, lanky kid from California and all that. So, but that, that's not enough warning by no. any means, you know, all we knew just by the way people were speaking of him is he was no longer at the zoo, yep. you know? So, yeah. yeah. I just feel like they really could have just explained what happened and gone to showing like the funeral stuff. Like, right. I think it wasn't but, necessary you know, to show we- us that, that footage. They could have said it well and you've made our point and Yeah. So yeah, let's move on from that. I mean, I think that that's, that's the point is, uh, you know, let's, let's respect Travis and his life and let that, uh, let that lay. So, you know, the next thing that we see is Joe again, kind of, you know, doing his public act, serving the Thanksgiving or Christmas meal at the GW Zoo, granted. Where'd he get that meat from? I'm saying <laughs> that's some Walmart meat that people are getting. We all, that. we all know. Good old oh, Walmart. Man. So again, it's a show that makes Joe look like a savior, a show that he is saving animals or cares about animals when he really doesn't. It's a show that he cares about this charity thing when in fact it's all in the, all in the purposes of directing attention um, back to him, credit back to him, affection back to him perhaps. So um, we see that, we see the four-wheeler uh, that's converted into an art installation by the local biker club. Uh, in memory of Travis. And then we hear Jeff kind of talking about how Joe really lost it after that, which is interesting. Yeah, because one point I'll make is like when he was serving like the Christmas Thanksgiving meal and he gave his little speech and he uncovered all the food and people were serving up their food. He said something that really stuck with me. He's like, you're my only family. And then he went outside and kind of had this pity cry for himself, which is like, it just goes back to show he doesn't really like he has all these other people in his life, his mother, his father, all the people that like, he's not alone. He's taken all these people with him. And so to then serve the public and then like almost presented them this, this like, Oh, 
pity me. You guys are my only family. It just all felt so gross. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That caught my attention this time around too, just because it, you know, and they, they sort of bring it up later too when he meets Dylan, but it's almost like he just can't be alone, but he can't be with someone if it's not on his terms. Totally. Right. That does not make for a good person. (laughs) Needing to control the impulse is understandable, especially again, going back to his early childhood trauma and the fact that his life, you know, he was powerless and out and his life was out of control. I'm sure that left a, a, a deep imprint on him, but in compensating for that, he then victimized other people and, um, you know, he needs to be held responsible for that. And it's not excusable. So we get a, you know, after that section where we see Joe and the, the serving the meal, like you were saying, Joy, when he, you know, then kind of breaks away from there and is, is crying. We get a little flash of Jeff, who at this point must have just kind of had it with the zoo and everything that was going on there and is probably getting a little bit too much. So he goes back to Vegas for a minute, uh, starts up a Tiger Party bus, which we'll find out how that all shakes out. Jeff drops some hints that not so well and that maybe is an ill-conceived business idea, but they kind of pick it up and then leave it pretty quickly. And then we're back to Joe and getting a tour of his room, which really kind of looks like a college, like kid's room. It's a mess. We've got stuff everywhere. He's got a, a box of kittens. We learn about Joe's Prince Albert piercing, which is a piercing through the head of your penis. And he talks about how he uses like a padlock as a ring. Is that what it would be called? Is, would you even call that a ring? Uh yeah, I don't know. I've only known one guy that had that done and he actually two, but one of them told me that he took it out years later and he will forever have to sit down to pee. My God. That was one of my questions. Yep. It goes through the stream, I'd imagine. Yeah. It's like, it's so like, this. like a tri- like a triplicated pee hole almost. Right. Yeah. Comes through here a little bit and then down. Interesting. So the padlock would be through these two holes. Oh, God. oh, so it's not like straight through, like a, a <laughs> through the it's through the urethra. It's not through the head. Oh, it's through the urethra. Oh, today I learned. So there's so it's repurposing. So one hole is repurposed. Yeah. The original pee hole is is repurposed. These are just some of the friends that I had in film school. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Anyway, a padlock (laughs) seems a lot. Because he said they don't make them big enough. Well, so funny story. There's an interview that I listened to with uh, John Finley, and he said that that was BS and that the padlocks were his, that Joe's Prince Albert wasn't big enough to accommodate the the padlocks, but his was. And he was actually the one that encouraged Joe to get it. And Joe got it just because he, you know, again, getting attention. It was, I don't know, it was cool. But apparently John Finley almost like lost his lost his junk because the piercing was uh, done poorly and he had to have it like redone or something like that. So he almost uh, lost his manhood in the process. But yeah, anyway, so now I know how that whole thing worked. Let's move on from that. <laughs> so as you alluded to, Seamus, very quickly after Travis, uh, after Travis's untimely death, Joe is unable to stay single. He needs people in his life. He needs that attention. He needs that relationship. So he goes out and finds another young man, Dylan Passage, in an internet chat room of some sort. They don't divulge exactly what that was or how that all went down. But long story short, or short story short, Joe marries Dylan two months after Travis's death invites Travis's mom. Literally, it's just Travis's mom, the ring bearer, the officiant, Joe and Dylan, kind of gets the photo op. Travis's mom interprets that as displaying, or Joe did that in order to kind of show people that she was approving of this new relationship. And then Joe promptly kicks her to the curb, never talks to her again. Again, super gross, super disgusting, and another example of Joe's wanton disregard for anything other than himself. That might have been Joe's only chess move that I noticed that he's made mm. kind of thing where mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, you know, I got to 
I mean, it's not out of his mouth, but this is Travis's mom, you know, got a photo of me at the wedding and the optics of that are, you know, well, if Travis's mom is okay with it, then, you know, it is what it is mm-hmm. kind of deal. We then find out he actually got 19% of the vote uh, in the governor's race, which that's, that's almost 20%. You round it up. That's almost <laughs> one in five people in Oklahoma voted for Joe Exotic as governor. Not that bad, actually. No. Didn't win, uh, didn't win a lot of extra customers. Uh, certainly didn't help the park's status. I'm sure he spent tons of money. But pretty good run, if you ask me, especially like we were talking about before, maybe not the most tolerant of openly gay politicians. So, I mean, props to him for that. I mean, that's, uh, you know, maybe a testament to his campaign manager, Josh, actually being pretty good. And maybe having had some political savvy that could have uh, could have been employed, perhaps with a different candidate, you know, with, with a good effect. I wonder how many of those votes are like legit, oh yeah, he's going to be a good governor or joke votes because someone else had it more or less in the bag and politics has slowly turned into celebrity type of fanfare. Yeah, it reminds me of the- Where they're like, hot, look at this asshole. I'm totally going to vote for him. It's going to be hilarious, right? It's the Mike Judge idiocracy becomes reality Mm. situation where- uh, in that classic film, we have a WWF style, I forget, uh, what's the actor's name? Terry Crews. Yeah, Terry Crews is the WWF guy in like a Uncle Sam get up in idiocracy. And we're not too far away from that. I think uh, maybe one <laughs> or two more cycles and we'll be there. Yeah, 20, um, 2030, you think? Man, that's uh, maybe a little generous. Uh, 2024. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Joe Exotic will get out of jail and then we'll uh, put him in the White House. But, you know, obviously, Joe loses Travis. He loses the, the governorship in the process. He neglected the park, neglected the employees. You know, John things, left him. John left him for the girl at the gift shop. It's kind of falling apart. I mean, I guess Joe does have this new relationship where he's, you know, again, distracting himself. But there's some sketchy business. They talk about a listening device being found in the park. I don't think they talked about it in the Tiger King show, but there was another incidence where, and this is something that Rick Kirkham had on tape. They had one of the computers in the offices, like files were kind of moving without anybody touching the computer. So there was at least an instance of somebody maybe hacking into and getting like a, you know, virtual like control of remote one of their computers. Kind of yeah, yeah, remote desktop kind of situation, which I guess gives some credence to some of Joe's paranoia. So maybe it wasn't completely just meth induced you know, paranoia. paranoia. They never really like in this episode anyway, they never really delve into like who they think that listening device was. Like it was sort of I almost took it as like Joe put it in there to listen into the campaign office and stuff like that because he is paranoid. Like that could also be a possibility. Well I'm sure they blamed Carol Baskin. I don't <laughs> think that it was Carol Baskin. We do know that from the last episode, Joe would happily blame Carol for things that he very well may have done, like blowing up the alligator house slash TV studio. I don't know though, man. Like I think that in this instance, I'm like, ah, maybe it's actually the government because very- Oh, right. They do talk about like an open FBI case. Yeah. And like right after we learn about the uh, the listening device that had been found, they're recording Jeff for the Tiger King Netflix series. And he takes a call on camera, presumably with an agent, and then we flash to the one, like the male director talking to the female director and saying something like, it's gotten dark. And you kind of have this breaking of the fourth wall where for the first time since the first episode, you get an insight into what the, what the Netflix documentarians are actually thinking about this situation. You actually hear them talking and end scene. That's, that's where they leave it off again serious cliffhanger you got to keep watching if you want to find out what happens next yeah i thought that was really interesting that jeff felt so comfortable to take those calls in front of them and then just assume that they wouldn't use that footage and clearly they used some of it and they didn't use all of it which is also interesting yeah and then just to see the guy in the truck on the phone and he was like Jeff was on, you know, a call with a federal agent. And so you're like, okay, it's interesting. The thing about like the government um, putting that little wonky listening device, 
that's something that you would like buy online at like a, you know, if the government really wants to listen into you, they wouldn't do it that way. Yeah. If Radio Shack still existed, you'd get it there. No, maybe uh, it was Jeff Lowe. Maybe it was yeah. uh, Alan uh, Who knows? Lover, you know, one of his, <laughs> one of his friends, because clearly yep. Jeff's talking to an agent. Maybe uh, he's yeah. trying to throw Joe under the bus. So Exactly. Get him out of the way completely. Who, being who, that the, uh, done it? Being that the uh, uh, sardine oil didn't work the way he wanted exactly, it to. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Survived the sar- sardine oil incident. <laughs> now they're taking a different tack. And I mean, that's the thing. Jeff is a chess player. You know, he is more like mm-hmm. Doc Manville. He is smart and savvy, you know, likely a criminal and, uh, you know, certainly has no scruples, but he's not as stupid and uh, knows how to kind of manage like perceptions and opinions. You know, he's bald. And so what does he do? He always wears a little do-rag in his hat. So you never see that. So, you know, he's much more aware of the power of optics and impressions. And I wouldn't be surprised that he knew that that call was coming or had some idea that that call was coming or what was at least happy to take that call on camera. Yeah. I think yeah, that played. That's very true. So we'll find out more, I'm sure, in the next episode. Oh. I mean, I'm wondering though, <laughs> if someone who's so aware of the importance of optics, why is he wearing affliction? Because it says, <laughs> I'm young, cool, and hip, ladies. Come party with me oh. and my tiger bus. That yeah, so because some, some men are under the illusion that that stuff actually works. And, right, and I don't know any man, like, under the age of, like, 45 that wears it. It's like, I don't yeah. know any young men that, that rock the the affliction no. or Ed Hardy or... I used to know oh, people Ed that, Hardy. Yeah, that wore Von that. Dutch hats, but, yeah, that uh, it seems like affliction mm-hmm. is the last the last one standing there ed but. hardy man They're, they had like ed hardy stores in the mall remember yeah. those remember malls yeah <laughs> remember malls <laughs> it's so true i saw one on stranger things i was like that's <laughs> that's a mall i miss going to blockbuster and walking around and picking out what movie i wanted for the night i really do miss that well i'm Netflix, just showing my uh, age more than you guys but so. i know yeah <laughs> i know we wouldn't be here today if blockbuster wasn't <laughs> a barren corpse on the uh, corporate uh, graveyard. I'm aware. And now I'm full in, in love with Netflix because I can, enjoy it. I can enjoy it without having to leave my house. So, yes. you know, it's the best. Did Blockbuster do that for you? Come on now. No, no, they didn't. They but, you know, that yeah. was back in the time where you could, you know, walk around freely. So things have changed. It's a give and a take. It's a give and a take. <laughs> Maybe it'll come back, you know, when quarantine's lifted. Be like, hey, you remember going to the video store? We're open again. Come on. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, like a nah. <laughs> I'll stick with my uh, Netflix. Yeah, it's a business of like a, a nostalgia play. You know, they're like, yeah, let's. You know, be, being a modern recluse could be like the new thing, you know? Is that the next Tra- level of hipster? I'm trying it on for size. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> so, yeah. episode five, thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, I'm going to give this one a thumbs down because I really feel like there should have been a warning. I feel like they use that in a way that just kind of makes me sick to my stomach. I feel like they could have done everything that they need to do without showing that 15 seconds. And yeah, yeah, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I agree with you on that they didn't need to show that. You know, there was obviously more than enough footage for them to work with and there have been stories told for years that don't actually show the kill shot, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, or the reaction to it, it, especially since it was a real person, like it, you, if it's a character, you're, you understand that fact, but you know that these people are real. Yeah. Without even just, they could have just shown done like what Fox usually did with like, you know, viewer discretion is advised. Right. Like the upcoming exactly. scene can be is fairly disturbing you know so i don't know if netflix has like a jump to specific time feature but that might be interesting if they incorporate that in the future because then you could just skip the i mean i don't even know how long that shot was because it felt like it lasted forever Mm -hmm. you know but it could just it could be as short as five seconds who knows yeah it, it it felt like yeah it felt too long yeah but they could have like just stayed on josh's interview footage rather than cutting away to the if it's cctv or or whatever kind of thing but josh was aware that he was on camera 
like he that's how he set it up he's like travis sat underneath the camera the camera was pointed at me kind of thing so yeah it's just it's a tough anywhere from five to 30 seconds however long that lasted but you know they could have edited around it i think and still had the same impact mm -hmm. are you a thumbs down i don't even know honestly because it's so like the it's this oddly entertaining thing you know earthquake nestled in a tsunami you know wrapped in a an avalanche kind of situation with a, with a sharknado on the way yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um and then sharktopus comes to fight joe exotic it uh sharktopus is this a new thing i haven't heard about is this gonna no, be like the next sharknado no? no it's it's in that same time frame um <laughs> just cheesy cheesy roger corman style movies oh gosh um yeah, I you know I don't even know. I I'm completely undecided out of my three options, so I'm just going to abstain. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm with you on that. Uh, I'm gonna withhold any thumbs from this episode. I am inclined to thumbs down it for the same reasons that you elucidated, uh, Joy, because it was distasteful. Uh, and then, as you said, Seamus, uh, unnecessary from a filmmaking perspective. There's any number of ways that they could have handled it. Uh, that did not spring it on the viewers in such an exploitive and unnecessary way. That said, it happened and we were exposed to it. And that said, I do like in this episode that it does dive into Joe's relationships with John Finley and Travis Maldonado. I do find myself interested in the psychology of course of control and how people find themselves in these types of situations, how they do or do not get out of these situations what leads somebody to be the perpetrator of these types of things like Joe in this case, or someone like Doc Antle or, um, you know, cult leaders, frankly, are, are you know, uh, very adept at these uh, manipulative uh, techniques. So that would um, kind of be in my interests. But I think on the whole, I'm just abstaining uh, as well. I don't think that I can in good conscience uh, recommend this episode. But if you found it inflicted upon yourself or if you found yourself having seen it without knowing it, then like us, it is what it is. And I guess I kind of forgot, you know, I don't know. It's just one of those things where it's like, I know it happened. I knew, I knew, I don't know. It's like, if you'd asked me like, oh, you know, that scene happened in this episode, I would have been like, yeah, but it still crept up on me. And I kind of still was caught off guard watching it the second time. Um, all that is to say it's gotten dark, kind of like what the director said at the end. So we'll see. We'll see if uh, things take a turn and lighten up or if this plunge into darkness and madness and despair continues. But until next time, listen to Netflix and podcast. Thank you as always. And we'll be back for episode six of The Tiger King. Just a quick final note, if you like this episode, if you want to hear more Netflix and podcast coverage of Netflix originals, let us know what you think by sending us an email at netflixandpodcastshow at gmail.com. That's netflix and a-n-d podcastshow at gmail.com.